0: As you know, we just did two episodes on rooftop solar. But what about the rest of us who don't have a sunny south- or west-facing roof available for solar panels? What do we do to get green electricity? Well, we buy it. In this episode, we talk with Jenna Tenney of Marin Clean Energy, which provides a clean energy alternative to Marin, Contra Costa, Napa, and Solano counties. She will explain community choice aggregation, what it is, how it works, and why to choose it, even if you have your own solar panels. Welcome to Exploration Bay Area. Climate change. We look at it up, down, and sideways. We follow the links between climate change and so many other issues and all of it with a local twist. Welcome to Link Exploration Bay Area. I'm Jean Rosenmeier, and I'm the host of today's episode. We're here with Jenna Tenney of Marin Clean Energy, or MCE. MCE is our local community choice aggregator for Contra Costa County, as well as Napa, Marin, and Solano counties. Welcome,
1: Jenna. Thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. Tell us what you do
0: over at Marin Clean Energy.
1: I am MCE's manager of brand communications So I've actually been with the agency about seven years. And so I've had the opportunity to work in a variety of different roles. So I helped a a lot of the communities in Contra Costa enroll with MCE back when I was working as a community development manager. And now I manage uh, most of our external facing communications in terms of Larger agency thought leadership, our social media, our blogs, press releases, so kind of moving from that community focus where I got to talk one-on-one with everyone about what we do to talking to a larger audience. So it's exciting to be here and able to kind of talk talk one-on-one again.
0: Well, good. Tell us about community choice aggregation. What is that?
1: Community choice aggregation, most often referred to as CCA, is a type of electric service model that is available in California and a handful of other states around the US. What we do is we come into a community by vote of the local elected officials. So that would be your town council, your city council, or your county board of supervisors. And they vote to have CCAs like MCE offer electric service to their constituents. So we provide an alternative electric choice to what's known as the investor owned utility up here that is PGE. So we provide more renewable energy at competitive prices and we also offer a variety of local programs that benefit our customers directly. Customers can choose to be with MCE and receive our renewable energy services, or they can choose to be with PG&E and receive those services. It's a really cool program because it enables people to access renewable energy at competitive rates without any need to install solar panels or any other technologies.
0: Where's the line between you and PG&E? I know that the bill comes from PG&E and their trucks are out there maintaining the lines.
1: PG&E continues to maintain the lines and wires, as you mentioned. So they handle the distribution and transmission side of the electric business, and they also continue to do gas services. MCE doesn't do gas services at all. What we do is we replace the electric generation source, where your electricity is actually coming from. When we launched back in 2010, we were offering 28% renewable service compared to PG&E service, which was around 13. And today PG&E's standards service is 49% renewable. And actually as of January 1st, MCE's default service is now 100% renewable, but customers can choose a 60% renewable service at a lower cost if they'd like. So the bill still comes from PG&E. You'll see your PG&E charges, and then there will be a space on the bill to see your MCE charges and then you'll see your gas charges.
0: So the PG&E charge is basically a connection charge and it pays them for their services and maintenance. Is that a flat fee per customer?
1: No, it's not. It's typically based on how much electricity you use. PG&E actually has a variety of charges that they include on the bill. So there's Transmission and distribution, but then they also collect charges for programs that are run by the state. So. There are a number of discount programs, the CARE program, the FERA program, which are discount programs that are based on income levels, and the Medical Baseline Program, which gives additional allowances for people who have medical equipment. Since they're using more energy, it it helps keep those bills lower. And there's some other programs that the state runs as well. And PG&E collects those charges, and they get distributed across the state. There's a bunch of other kind of smaller fees that get really kind of into the technical how, you know, electricity lines and wires are run. But essentially what they do is they collect all of those charges that they were collecting before. And then MCE just takes over the charges for the generation side. So when you look at a PG&E bill that has MCE charges on it, you're going to see a new line item on your first page. And it just is a breaking up of what used to be a single line item. So for PG&E, it would just say PG&E electric charges. But with MCE, you're going to see PG&E transmission and distribution charges, and then you're going to see MCE electric generation. And that used to just be one line item with all of those charges, but now it's two because you have two separate providers providing those different services.
0: You gave us a hint about the different options people can choose from. Could you expand on that?
1: Sure. The basic service options that people have access to are PG&E's service, which is 49% renewable right now, MCE's light green service, which is 60% renewable, and MCE's deep green service, which is 100% renewable. Previously, our standard service was our light green service, but we're really excited. Our board voted to go ahead and move our standard service to our deep green service. And that service... Is 100% renewable energy, and um, half of the additional charge for that service goes towards local projects and programs to help benefit the community directly. Customers, as they're moving in, will get notifications of, like, hey, you're, you know, you're in a service area where you're an MCE customer. And you are automatically going to be enrolled in MCE's deep green service. But if you'd like, you do have other options. And we provide you with the information that you need if you want to go ahead and opt down to the light green service, which is a little bit less expensive, currently less expensive than PG&E service, or if you want to go ahead and return to PG&E service at a lower renewable rate.
0: I thought I saw on your website that you have an option that's 100% local
1: solar. We do still have that service option. It's a pretty small program. There's actually a cap on how many customers we can enroll in that program. It's actually a one megawatt project located in Novato up in Marin County. So because it just is that one megawatt, that's the capacity for how many customers we're allowed to take. It's about 300 customers. We are up over, I think we're closer to around 250 right now. And it is much more expensive than our other service options. So customers can choose that service option, but we often don't talk about it just because there's a lot to consider when you're talking about electricity. And and, uh, we want folks to just understand kind of who MCE is and what we offer before we start getting into the nitty gritty of, of all of the options.
0: Does the Public Utilities Commission control the rates that you can charge?
1: They don't. So we are overseen by the California Public Utilities Commission and the California Energy Commission in terms of a variety of power contracting requirements. So um, making sure that we're hitting the renewable portfolio standard, uh, making sure that we have a a good mix of long-term contracts to help provide stable rates, things like that, and emissions factors but our rates are able to be set by our board of directors. So I mentioned earlier that MCE comes into a community by vote of the local elected officials. Our board and the folks who set our rates are those local elected officials. So your city council will have someone on the council who sits on MCE's board of directors. And we have monthly meetings that are open to the public the same way that city council meetings are. So people can come and provide comment. And what's really cool about that also is that you can go directly to your city council to voice your opinion as well. So we, we do have some oversight by the commission, but our rates are set by our board.
0: I understand that there's a payment plan that evens out your monthly bills over the course of the year. Is that something that MCE is involved in, or does that come from PG&E, or how does that work?
1: I believe the program that you might be mentioning is the Budget Billing Program. Budget billing is not a program that MCE offers at this time, just because there's a lot of back-end work that needs to be done, and we haven't been able to make that work in our system. So if customers are enrolled in the budget billing program, they will need to remain with PG&E service.
0: Do you interact with customers regarding rooftop solar, or is that strictly PG&E?
1: The interconnection process is between the customer and PG&E, but MCE does have a net energy metering program that is structured very similarly to PG&E's. We instead do monthly billing as opposed to an annual true up. So during the summer, a lot of solar customers are overproducing electricity. So those credits will get applied towards future bills. So let's say, you know, in April, maybe you owe $10 because you use some electricity. And then maybe in May, you have a credit for $10. And so that will roll over into the next month. And probably in June, you'll have another credit. So maybe now you have $30 of credit and that will keep getting rolled over until you hit the winter months where those credits will get used. And if you end up using more electricity than you consume, you will pay MCE for those charges that month. It's similar, but instead of having that large annual true up, we do those charges monthly
0: then I guess you'll be doing the net metering 3.0 at the same time as PG&E?
1: MCE does not have to change our program based off of the new net billing tariff. However, those changes that are going into effect on PG&E's side will go into effect for MCE customers as well. So things like the the interconnection rules, the change in compensation on the PG&E side those types of things are still going to be there because MCE customers are still PG&E customers for that whole side of the transmission delivery side of the bill. So those changes on that side will still apply to MCE customers. But on the MCE side, you would be compensated at our current net metering tariff. That would be retail for the credits throughout the year. And then at the end of the year, if you are a customer who has actually produced more electricity over the entire course of the year than you used, you would be compensated at twice the wholesale rate, which is twice what PG&E had offered previously, and I believe is more than the new compensation model. You would be compensated higher with MCE, but um, we are also likely considering looking at our tariff again uh, in the next couple of months. So that'll go to our board and customers will have the opportunity to weigh in on that.
0: Well, here's the $64,000 question. How do your rates compare to PG&E? How much more are we going to have to pay for Deep Green?
1: MCE's light green service is less expensive than PG&E right now. So you're getting 11% more renewable energy from a local provider for less cost per month. Our Deep Green service is about a dollar forty uh, for the average customer more per month than PG&E. So Deep Green is about a dollar and a half more than PG&E service. And you're getting 100% renewable service instead of 49. And the money that you pay for Deep Green goes towards local projects and programs. So things like our low income EV rebates or EV charging or energy efficiency services, things like that.
0: Are these are programs you run or you work them out with the city councils?
1: They're programs that we run. We try to be very responsive to the needs of our communities. right? So We currently have a grant that we are working on with the Contra Costa Transportation Authority for helping get clean transportation into the Contra Costa communities. Um, We've also partnered with Monument Impact. We provide sponsorship dollars to local organizations that are doing important work in the community. So we run programs that are really tailored to the needs of our community, but then we also run programs across our whole service area, our our EV charging, our EV rebates, um, and our energy efficiency services. And we partner really closely with our cities as well. So we work with city staff to hear kind of what the city's doing, if they're doing climate action planning, if they're doing um, any redevelopment work that MCE can be a part of, or maybe if there's new multifamily housing coming in, can MCE provide EV charging for those locations?
0: You've mentioned EVs, electric vehicles, a couple of times. What do you got going in the way of programs for electric vehicles?
1: So we have two programs. Um, we have an electric vehicle rebate for income qualifying customers. And that rebate stacks with other state rebate programs to help reduce the cost of an electric vehicle by as much as $13,000 so that customers can actually get into those vehicles, which can be very expensive for an upfront cost.
0: Wow, that's real money.
1: Yes, it does. It definitely adds up. So MCE's rebate is 3500 and we partner closely with the state agencies to try to make that application process pretty streamlined so that our customers know what's available to them and can actually access it as well. Our other program is an EV charging infrastructure program. So this is specifically for multifamily and workplace properties. We've worked with schools, we've worked with our cities, And the idea here is to install EV charging in publicly accessible locations so that folks are able to more easily access charging. One of the biggest barriers to EV adoption is the range anxiety. And am I going to be able to find a charger when I need one? And installing a charger in your home can be expensive. And if you are someone who lives in an apartment or another type of multifamily complex, you can't install one in your home, most likely. So this program is really intended to provide more access to EV charging so that people can feel more confident in getting themselves into an electric vehicle because electric vehicles do have a larger upfront cost, but over the life of the vehicle, they often save customers money to the tune of about $6,000 a year because you don't have nearly as much maintenance. And also, I'm sure we all remember when gas was up around $7 a gallon. At that time, what's called the e-gallon equivalent, right? So you obviously, you charge your electric vehicle with electricity. So the e-gallon equivalent for that electricity was just around $2. So you're saving a lot on fuel costs as well.
0: Are there any incentives for building electrification? You know, heat pumps, induction stoves, and the like?
1: We do have incentives for heat pump, water, and space heating. Right now, we're really focused on providing rebates to contractors because we have found that contractors are the ones who are making recommendations to homeowners or property owners when they are making these upgrades. And so by uh, lowering the upfront cost to the contractor and creating an incentive for them to learn about these technologies and educate their customers about them, people are more likely to adopt the technologies. We also do have a program, our virtual power plant in Richmond, which is installing electrification measures on a select number of homes, up to 100 homes in the area to connect to a sort of virtual system which can help dispatch energy into the grid when it's needed through these electric technologies. So that's a little bit different. We are kind of looking at a lot of creative solutions to getting these electrification technologies into folks' hands, essentially.
0: So I just want to follow up on what you just said. That's a deal where people get batteries. And when MCE needs the power, then you draw from their batteries. Is that right?
1: So that's definitely one type of technology that can be integrated. It's a suite of clean energy technologies. So it could be they're getting a heat pump water heater, a heat pump space heater. They could be getting solar. They could be getting an EV charger. They could be getting a battery, induction cooking. There's all of these technologies that work together. They can all be smart integrated technologies So that they can be turned on and off. So for example, during the day, if you have a lot of excess solar energy on the grid, you can go ahead and heat up some water at that time or charge your car at that time and use some of that excess energy. But then in the evening, you can also dispatch some of that energy out. So a battery is what we think of most often in those scenarios, but it can be any of these smart technologies.
0: When you do a 100% renewable Is there a problem with the peak of demand not occurring at the same time as peak production? We hear about that all the time.
1: That is one of the biggest problems with solar and wind energy, they are intermittent, right? So solar is only there when the sun is shining and wind is only there when the wind is blowing. So those technologies, we are looking for storage solutions. And we most often talk about battery storage, but MCE is also really interested in green hydrogen, because if you can create hydrogen fuel from those renewable technologies, you're creating a completely clean fuel source that can then be used to dispatch electricity to the grid, power turbine the same way that a natural gas plant works, or you can use it in transportation. And um, in California, 40% of the emissions are now from the transportation sector because we have done such a good job of reducing our emissions in electricity. For customers that are receiving 100% renewable energy through Deep Green, that service is actually providing 100% renewable energy to the grid on an annual basis. So we can look at when renewable energy needs to be on the grid and kind of try to integrate various technologies to address that peak load concern.
0: We're coming to the end of our program, and I just wanted to move to the local area. So what percent of customers in the Diablo Valley are electing to use either light green or deep green electricity?
1: MCE's been really lucky in, in the Contra Costa communities. We've had really big advocates and uh, a lot of education. And so we're at around a 90% enrollment rate for the communities in the Diablo Valley, which means about 122,000 customers or electric accounts. So twice that or three times that in terms of people are participating with MCE service. So they're getting either 60% or 100% renewable energy through MCE, which is really exciting. Our service area average is a little bit closer to 86, 87%. So Contra Costa is out there doing the work and making sure that folks are getting access to renewable energy.
0: There's a rumor on the street that your prices are going up more slowly than PG&E. Is there any truth to that? Can you tell us anything about the future rates and how they might compare?
1: Yeah, well, MCE did raise our rates as of January 1st. And PG&E is raising their rates as well. And our 60% renewable service is less expensive than PG&E's 49. And our deep green service, which is... More than twice as renewable as PG&E's service is only a dollar fifty more. We are all struggling with the increased cost of energy that we've really seen over the last year, and so MCE is really committed to looking long term at our financial success and stability, and also making sure that our customers are a big part of that. We are a not for profit public agency, so we're a government agency, and really what we're here to do is, is support the needs of our customers and address one of the biggest threats to us today which is climate change. when we look at rate setting we look at a much larger picture of what are we offering our customers what do our customers need and, and how are we making sure that we are maintaining fiscal responsibility so that we can be here for the long term to help meet those goals in terms of our rates, you know they do fluctuate. sometimes we're less expensive than PG e sometimes we're more expensive we are often less expensive. Lots of good in there.
0: Whoa, you just zipped by something I didn't understand before. You're a government agency?
1: We are, yeah. So we're actually a joint powers authority, which a lot of waste and water districts in our community, they function under the same structure.
0: Wow, this has been really informative. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Very happy to be here.
0: In this episode, we only talked to Marin Clean Energy, or MCE, which was the first community choice aggregator, and it operates in Contra Costa, Napa, Solano, and Marin counties. But there are community choice aggregators in all the counties around the Bay Area. Alameda County's CCA is called East Bay Community Energy. San Mateo County CCA is called Peninsula Clean Energy. San Francisco is Clean Power SF. Santa Clara County is Silicon Valley Clean Energy. If you're not already signed up with MCE or you want to change the level of your service, you do that by going to their website, which is mcecleanenergy.org. And on the website, there is a page called Compare Options, And there's a form on that page that you fill out to change your level of service. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Join us again in three weeks. And I just want to give a shout out to Zap Splat for our theme music. See you next time. Linksploration Bay Area is an independent podcast. Find, subscribe, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is linksploration.com, where you can listen to our archives, and there's also show notes, photos, and links to our guests. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at linksploration at gmail.com, and that's spelled L-I-N-K-S-P-L-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Look for us on social media, also on Patreon. We are not in this to make money, but we do welcome donations to help with the cost of keeping the podcast on the air. We're Gene, Sharon, and Christy signing off. Until next time, thanks for listening.